Hi, Dan Alexander here, and this episode is brought to you by Required, the all-in-one go-to platform for serious recruitment professionals, owners, and founders who are looking to grow their businesses. Now, we'll actually be launching the new online platform very soon, and if you'd like to be one of the first people to get access to our state-of-the-art learning platform and vault of online resources, then get in touch with us through the link in the description of this episode. Today on the Required Podcast, we've got Maria Dry from PGC. Um, Maria's had an interesting career that's uh, taken her to work for PGC for the last couple of years. Um, really nice flowing conversation, talks about why firms should go to the US, how they find it. Um, we talk about you know differences in states, where to headquarter, how to go about it, things to watch out for, and um, a view on the market. Really nice, easy listening podcast. Hope you enjoy it as much as we did chatting. So welcome, Maria. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No pressure. I promise to try and bring as much, if not more, than Clark. I'm sure you will. Um, so um, we actually haven't met before, which is mad because you've been um, with the organisation quite a while and PGC have been partners with us quite a while. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, fab. So yeah, Maria Dry, Director of US Expansion at PGC. Um, I have been with PGC for over two years now. Um, prior to PGC, I actually kind of well fell into recruitment like many do. Um, I was doing internal kind of talent acquisition and a PA firm, a PR firm, sorry, um, and was working with a number of recruitment agencies. That's when I kind of got poached or lured into agency side. So prior to PGC, I spent three years um, on kind of mainly the UK per market, um, a company that now has got two offices in London, one in New York, one in Dubai. And whilst I was there, I was really supporting them um, and actually looking out to go and support with setting up the New York office. Um, So naturally, I had connected with PGC. I was really looking at their content, upskilling my knowledge. Um, and then that's when I saw an opportunity become available at PGC. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to, you know, explore this. And two years, three years later, here I am. So which is your favourite job? Was it working at Wimbledon for a year and meeting all the famous <laughs> tennis players? Or was it working with Clark and Amy at PGC? Do you know what? Wimbledon is special. If, if anyone who's been to the Wimbledon tennis, you'll know it's it's an amazing place. So my job there, I was... Um, head of like the hospitality tents for the big kind of Deloitte, EY, so very, very fancy. Um, and I've always loved kind of the finer things, the luxury things in life, which I think has actually voted well with wanting to be, you know, in the recruitment market. So, yeah, I think that gave me my taste or slice of luxury working at Wimbledon. But yeah, working at PGC, honestly, there's nothing like it. And I think you know, we're very good and we're very vocal on LinkedIn and everyone always says, is it actually as good as it looks? Um, but honestly, it is. I, I pinch myself that, you know, my job is what it is, day and out. I, I wonder how you managed to come up with so much positive content. So <laughs> it's like you'll love each other, you'll get on, you're always in the States. Yeah, it, it, it looks really, really good. Yeah, I think, do you know what I would say? A massive shout out to our marketing team, because when I joined PGC, having come from a recruitment background where it was KPIs, number of calls you need to make, number of meetings you need to book, you know, interviews booked. I remember interviewing with Amy and she said, 
all of the leads at, at PGC are inbound, but you don't need to make any cold calls. You don't need to you know, have any set kind of KPIs daily or weekly. Like well, we've obviously got targets in place that we're like aiming to achieve. But I remember coming off the call and I was like, no one doesn't have, uh, you know, KPIs or sales targets. Like there's no such thing as 100% inbound leads. Um, but I think our marketing team have done such a phenomenal job um, at really kind of attracting and capturing leads at the early stages. So a lot of people won't even know what PGC's core solution is. So to this day, still 100% of our leads are inbound. Um, and, you know, I almost joke that I'm managing my Outlook inbox and my inbox on LinkedIn because people are just like, oh, can we jump on a call? Can I hear more about the US market? So I've got to be honest, that probably plays to a massive part of why I'm so happy all the time at PGC and why we're not getting kind of stressed. We've not got whiteboards up in the office where everyone can see everyone's billings or targets. So it, it, it is a very special culture. And I think, you know, it, it all just works very, very well um, and very healthy um, in terms of kind of competition. It isn't like what you would see kind of on a recruitment floor or what I was definitely used to. So you you did recruitment at an agency for three years. So, and they were primarily UK and obviously moved to the US and you helped yeah. their US expansion. Yeah, so we were doing kind of the UK market and who is now the head of New York um, for the company kind of put her hand up and said, look, I'm going to go and look at opportunities elsewhere. I'm either happy to help this business move out to the US or I'm going to go and find another opportunity that's going to, get me out there um so our founder at the time said that i'm open to exploring new markets come to me with a business case let's see what's possible um and what the kind of opportunity is now it blows my mind that i was sat in a london recruitment office for three years and i didn't even realize the sheer opportunity that was available in the us like now you'd go on linkedin and you'd think there can't be a recruiter that's got a LinkedIn profile that doesn't know about the US market. Um, but there was kind of a business case put together. We looked at where in the US we'd go, average fee sizes, average margins. Um, and then what we did there and what we still advise people do now is a recruit from a farm model. Um, so don't need to incorporate, don't need to register an entity. You can operate from your UK limited company. And just kind of recruit from afar. And because you're operating from afar, you're not creating that tax presence. So we did that for about a year. Um, and now that office has got the head of New York and five extra consultants out. So that's been kind of two years for them um, in the market. And I mean, their average fees are about 30K on the perm side. Um, in the UK office, you know, I think the highest ever fee I did there was 24K. And I was ringing the bell and dancing around the office. So as soon as we started doing kind of the New York market and it was 30K, 35K, 30K, 40K, um, it just kind of wipes the floor with the UK office. Yeah, it, it's kind of, you know, where where I've worked in offices where there's been UK and US, um, apart from people ruining their social lives by working those those hours, <laughs> these were in, in, incredibly different. Um, so what's the inflection point? You talk about this, a work from a far model, and that's great. Yeah. Uh, at what point is it worth going? And what are the drivers? Why not just stay working from afar but what are the drivers for then saying right okay we're gonna you know get, yeah. on, get on the plane get a tax presence yeah 
I mean, every business is different. Like I'll speak to 10, 15 founders a week. One's a one man band working off, you know, the kitchen table, wanting a lifestyle business. And that's absolutely fine. We've got clients that never get boots on the ground. They never get out there. They never incorporate. They recruit from afar. I would say you absolutely want to be sure of any kind of tax implications you might have once you start generating certain levels of revenue. But if you are truly wanting to build an American business and demonstrate your competency, your knowledge, if you're looking to build a valuation, um, there almost comes a point, and we've tend to seen it around 12 to 18 months, um, where you're going to be paying the cross-border tax anyway, incorporate, register, if you're going to get boots on the ground, you're going to want to have an entity to be able to payroll those workers. Um, and you're going to be wanting to build an American business. I think where we've seen UK businesses fail at the expansion is they've just wanted to push everything, including just all the consultants that are, are British consultants into the US. And they've not focused on building the US business. Um, I guess for you guys at, at S3, what did you see? What did you kind of see as the turning point of thinking right let's get boots on the ground and incorporate now um it was actually a very similar strategy as a recall and it was actually done through yeah. our, um through the huxley brand at the time it's a guy called morgan Kavanagh who was the yeah. uh, the ex-president of uh, s3 americas so you know and it was typically as described you know morgan would be in the office at uh, america square closing people at 11 o'clock at uh, 11 o'clock at night you basically come back from the pub to get your coat and he'd still be there working. So, and I think there was probably a team of maybe four or five, you know, from memories, Kunjal, Jeanette, all ready to go. And I think it was five of them that went over. Yeah. And I, I, it's not just the US, but other countries. Um, we always found that expats get you there and they get you started, but yeah. It, um, as I recall, the successfuls were then when you had really strong local talent come through. Yeah. And, you know, that was true of the US. That was true of the Netherlands. That was certainly mm -hmm. true, true of Germany. Um, because actually you just look like five British guys, um, you know, proper Englishmen in New York territory. Um, so the, the more you can understand the culture and and actually get some of that, you know, the, the the native culture into your businesses the yeah. quicker you can do that the better and yeah. and actually the the second point to that is accepting the difference in culture you need to take what's truly truly core to your organization yeah. but let all the other stuff slide yeah it's so true and you're so right on that point we would see people take a minimum of two people over from the UK normally it is four or five because you really want to be taking your culture and your DNA you know your learning diversity all of that into what you're building in the US because I think that's what truly makes UK recruiters stand out above the US recruiters um Another thing people might look to do before that trigger point is, hey, we're going to hit this number of revenue. And then once we've basically um, accounted for the cost that it's going to cost us, then we'll look at applying for our E2 visas and we'll do that. But you're so right, like taking, you know, your core team or a core team from the UK and then building US around it. Um, one interesting thing we do here time and time again is the talent in the US, how hard it is to find truly good 360 BD recruiters. Um, so I think I would always say as well to clients, don't underestimate how long it might take or the standard of a recruiter you find in the US versus what we 
can pay in the UK for a, a pretty decent recruiter. Yeah, and the, I think the other thing to say is that three sixty model is you know, is 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 more prevalent in the UK. Um, yeah, more likely to find those um, those dual one eighty models in. Mm-hmm. The US. Historically, that's how the local firms have operated. So. Yeah. Uh, unless you're growing your own, um, it will be difficult to find, you know, those. I mean, they do exist, but as you say, it's it's significantly more difficult to to find. I think the other thing that shocks people is the level of salaries. Um, yeah. So yeah. I when I was in New York in February and I was shocked to find out the minimum that you have to pay a consultant. I was like, wow and yeah uh, no experience green i think you look at about 55k now 50 yeah, the, the, the state the state minimum is 62 and a half um if you want to take people on permanent otherwise you've got to take them on temporary and worry about overtime yeah, okay. and FL, yeah. sa and things like that so it's like wow so and 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 that is a big big um when when uk recruiters like i'm paying what you know that, that yeah so what we've seen off the back of that now is a lot when people have been doing recruit from afar, they've actually been able to incubate really good teams in the UK. And when they see how much salaries are and actually the talent might not be as good as some of the UK talent is they've got BD consultants on the ground in the US and they keep some delivery teams in the UK because you can pay you know, a bit more of a modest salary um, and they're still going to get really nice kickbacks with the higher commission. So we've seen more and more clients now do that kind of model where they'll get BD on the ground and then keep their delivery in the UK. Um, you know, if you're doing East Coast, it's not a huge amount of difference um, with the time. Obviously, if you're going to want to go West Coast, it's different. But I thought that was quite an interesting model we're seeing more and more. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point about the time zones because you're actually looking at first hop so yeah. my strong advice to anyone unless it's completely compelling that you've got to go central you've got to go west coast start on the east coast um you know start in new york start in your boston's if you love the sunshine start in miami you know tampa you know those yeah. those charlotte those, carolinas yeah so those those are typically and and What's been always interesting to watch for me just over the years is is the way that the sort of um the vogue of where to where to go um first it was new york then it was san francisco um then it was austin and Mm -hmm. now it's definitely we're seeing tampa and increasing charlotte as well as yeah so i actually i watched the um the podcast you did with amy just when she started and it it was all austin 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 and you're so right kind of i think mid-pandemic during the pandemic after the pandemic austin was just everywhere um and I mean, it's still an amazing, amazing hub. There's more Fortune 500 companies now in Austin than there are in New York. Um, you've got zero percent income tax. They're building a Disneyland now in Austin. Um, you know, you've got a huge hub and a huge market. Um, I think off the back of Austin, like you say, Miami and Tampa, they've kind of been voted by Forbes the top one and two for emerging tech hubs. Um, but now the Carolinas, like you can see all these state governments are putting in incentives to draw talent, draw clients um, to move there. So they call it the research triangle in North Carolina, which is kind of your Raleigh, your Durham, your Charlotte. Um, when I went out there earlier this year, we had a meeting with the um, the BAB and they were saying that they've got about 100 people moving there a day, which is just mind blowing. Um 
but I, I would always say as well, go out there and see what you as a business owner get excited by because yes, Charlotte looks incredible on paper, but if you go there and you've not got that fire in your belly and you're not excited like you are, if, you know, you're in New York or Miami or Austin or somewhere else, you know, you truly need to buy into it yourself. So we've seen some clients that have gone by what looks good on paper and then consultants get out there and they're bored and then they hand their notice in and they go to a competitor in a, a bit more of a buzzy state. So, you know, there are different factors to consider, but yeah, I think Bloomberg actually coined it the great Southern migration um, where all this talent has just kind of dropped to these lower cost, better living sunshine states. Um, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that a lot of recruiters want to go to Miami. So <laughs> I'm putting my hand up to go on the next trip there. Yeah, 100%. Miami's a great town. Only been the once on a on a sales conference, but what a weekend that was. Yeah. yeah fantastic. <laughs> I was doing a um, a presentation once and we've got like really good graphics in our slides. And one of the founders I was talking to was like, oh, I've been to that rooftop that I can see there on your presentation. I'm like, oh, yeah, good, good party trips. <laughs> no, it was it was. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great time. And, and the thing I love about the States is just the opportunity. I mean, I think the um, yeah. I, I think it's the recruitment market's like seven times larger than the UK market. Yeah. So last year, global staffing industry generated just shy of $623 billion. Of that, the US took 34% of that revenue. The UK just took 8%. But over in the UK, you've got more active recruitment agencies than you do in the US. So we always kind of refer to it as a blue ocean, like you've got so much business to go after with actually less competition. Um, a lot of people say, oh, are we too late? Like everyone's been going to the US, like there's been such an influx. But I think you really need to try and comprehend just the sheer size of the American market. Like the UK can fit inside of Texas three times. Um, also UK recruitment, and I know we can say this both having come from a UK background, but the UK recruitment market is so advanced, like the most advanced in the world, like the tech stacks, the processes, um, even just like the mindset of the recruiters is extremely, extremely entrepreneurial. So you take a UK recruiter and you put them in the US market where it hasn't traditionally been competitive. So people haven't had to be different, have a niche, have an expert um, kind of knowledge or market. And they just stand up above the rest when a UK recruiter comes in. Um, you know, I've spoken to clients and in three months they've invoiced a 70K perm fee and they've said the client was just flabbergasted that I could shortlist in two days. Like they said, on average, they wait two weeks for shortlist. So I wouldn't say the US market is easy, but you're at a huge advantage. And once you get in there, once you get sticky with clients, the margin pressure doesn't exist like it does in the UK because you've not got as many competitors um, competing for the business. I think the real challenge is to when it does get into that market is to keep that mentality of of hard work and grit as opposed yeah. to okay we'll just fall into what the local market looks like yeah it, and it's so true and I think you can go into the US and you can get a bit lost you're like 
oh my gosh, there's so so much opportunity. Like I'm looking at a you know a company in Boston, but now a company down here's phoned me and will always say, stay niche, stay true to what you're doing, who you're targeting, what roles you're placing, and you will grow faster that way. Like the quickest way to just kind of deplete your book is spread yourself so thinly. Like you would never start a UK recruitment business and they say, I'm going to do the UK, I'm going to do Europe, and I'm going to do a bit of Russia to start. Like stay niche. Um, and stay focused i mean that that would be the advice i would give pick a state you know pick a pick a pick a niche in a state and already that's probably bigger than half of the uk market you were going at so it's already probably too big but you know classically any recruiter building a desk you're building your your client base you're building your candidate base and as i say to my kids it's, it's just like a great giant game of snap so you've just <laughs> got to put the two together and then you get a snap, you just send an invoice. The invoice just happens to be a little bit bigger. If, it, if yeah, you, double. <laughs> do you have a favourite state to do business in? So I won't, I won't tell all the other states if you... Uh... <laughs> I think it's changed probably as I've learned more. Like historically, I used to always say I would go to New York, like no place like New York. Um, And I'm sure people listening to this have listened to other recruitment podcasts and panels. And I think you hear more and more again, like, you know, if if not all your clients are in New York, you don't need to be in New York. Like you can be in a different state and service other states. So unless you are truly winning business and building your business in New York, you don't need to be there and pay through the nose um, for your taxes, incorporation, income, sales tax. Um, So as I kind of changed my spin on that and look at it more from kind of a founder, a leader, a CEO, I think I would definitely look at more of those kind of opportunity states or lower cost states. Um, I know everyone talks about Austin and I know I go to Austin a lot, but you know, you've got 1% incorporation tax, you've got 0% income tax, you're in a central location. I mean, Denver is also central and I love the look of Denver. I've not been personally, but I think that looks like a, a huge um, kind of state. We're seeing a lot of tech companies go to Denver, but I mean, I, I sound biased because I always go to Austin, but I think if I were to start a recruitment agency, I would be looking either Austin or Florida. I'm a sucker, <laughs> sucker for the sunshine. Obviously PGC have done that route. Adam used to be based obviously in, in New York and move the whole business down to Austin. Yeah. So I think we've gone on a bit of a journey. We were, we've been in Seattle, moved to New York and, um, And Adam will say, like, we truly, truly built PGC in New York. Like, that got us in the doors with the bigger clients. We've really, you know, owe a lot of our success to being in New York. Um, So I would never say to people, don't go to New York, you know, if you're looking to build a business that needs to win clients and be present in New York it's worth its weight in gold but we got to a point where we had built you know a really strong amazing reputation we had built a great client base um we were looking to really kind of catapult our tech um and also we really embrace remote during covid so we're now across 13 different states in the us three different countries um so we just didn't need to have the office in New York anymore. We've still got a small operations hub there. So we've got four people, our VPs there. Um, but yeah, we moved our headquarters to Austin. Fantastic. And you cover all 50 states though? Yeah. So we are registered employer, all 50 states, all provinces and territories in Canada. 
Um, so just kind of that turnkey solution for you know agencies to compliantly place and payroll contractors or internal talent. We're now seeing a lot of recruitment agencies use us to payroll their consultants whilst yeah. they're doing a recruit from afar. So again, low cost, low risk, you're not putting in that upfront commission, uh, commission commitment. Um, but if you want to kind of try and test some talent on the ground, PGC can payroll your recruitment consultants for you. Um, yeah. And the other, the other nice thing for UK recruiters, and the not the nice thing for the workers, is um, the uh, the notice at will or the the classic fourteen days. Does that yeah. not does, would that not scare you working there? It would. It, it it still blows my mind. Like actually, the the similarities, contract and perm. There's no huge difference. Like at will employment, no reason, no notice to terminate contracts, regardless of level, regardless of salary, title, um, no legal requirement for holidays. That one blows my mind all the time. Um, no legal requirement for 401k pension contributions. And actually both your contract and perm need benefits. So they're pretty mirrored in terms of what you get, the security. Um, so I'll always joke with my American counterparts. They think being in a role for one year is really longevity. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like back in the day on my UK perm desk, if I saw a, a one year, one year, one year, one year, you know, you almost don't really look um putting them forward but in the us like, it is such a transient market um that you just move so quickly and i think that's why we see contract making up so much of the market i think one in five workers now a contract and statistica have forecasted that by 2027 that's going to pretty much be kind of 50 percent are going to be contract versus per so it's just getting more and more so people watch <laughs> UK will put and you do contracts you probably understand r35 and the, the equivalent um in the US is worker classification so whereas you do an r35 test here to say yeah. you're a limited company or do you need to be that typically you guys would do a worker classification test and then you'd either put them on your payroll w2 or now yeah. you offer a service where you'll um you're able to run corp to corpse Yes, we are. So I'd say some of the biggest differences or kind of yeah differences between IR35 in the UK versus kind of the risk of misclassification in the US is that all parties in a chain in the US carry weight and responsibility to correctly classify that worker. So if you were to engage 10 corp to corps and the IRS says, hey, these guys should have all got benefits, overtime, sick leave, insurances, everyone that is in that chain has to pay those all back. So there are big risks um, of engaging corp to corps. You've also got 50 different states, which also kind of operate like 50 different countries. So they've all got their own laws and put their spin on what they class as inside or outside. So for a long time, PGC actually only engaged W2s because it is the most compliant way. Everyone at default in the US is a W2. However, we have seen that 15% of the contract market are true corp to corp. So there does need to be a means for agencies to engage corp to corps. Um, we have partnered with one of the biggest law firms in the US, Littler Mendelssohn. They have built a tool called Compliance HR, which essentially will assess the role on a federal, state and local law to yeah. say, 
where it sits between W2 and Corp to Corp. So that not only gives compliance for our agencies, but they can sell that into their end client as well. So they are basically ensuring compliance within the supply chain. Um, you hear a lot of these providers do assessments over the phone, like they'll just have a, a cheat sheet on what's inside or outside. But, you know, if the IRS come and do an investigation and you've not been seen to have done a robust assessment, you're next on the line. Um, the other difference in the US is you can't insure, like insurance for this doesn't exist. You can't be insured um, if you've said, oh, I've done an assessment or this company told me that I should do this. So if anyone's saying, oh, we can insure you, they can't. They might maybe will pay for the damage, but you would still be named in a court case. You still need to walk the walk. Um, it's also when you're looking to build valuation um, of a business We've seen that, you know, any lawyers that you speak to, they'll always advise don't have any more than 20% corp to corpse in your contract book because it is just going to drive down your valuation and increase your kind of risk and exposure. So we see the likes of S3 have internal rules say, hey, we're not having any more than this percentage corp to corpse. You know, other big companies will say we're not touching corp to corpse. It's W2 only. So I think there's a big education piece um, around that for not only the kind of founders and leaders, but also the consultants, because the only person in the chain that doesn't carry the weight and responsibility is the contractor. So they're like, yeah, I'm a corp to corp. No, I'm an LRC. Um, so it's just really, really key that you understand the risks. Good to good to know. And <laughs> I think I think the other thing I've I've seen, and actually I'm starting to see it in the UK and is that it's it's actually then the clients that are just saying we don't want this and you've seen that in the uk and 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 actually you know increasingly saying you know we just want one in it's got to be employed and you know we want to see who's the employer employer of record so um you recently went on a trip to australia that must have been exciting so um (laughs) drumming up business um down under how was that yeah well, personally, incredible, like absolutely loved Australia was my first time there. Um, but as a business venture, equally so, like there is so much opportunity in the US um, and so much opportunity, sorry, in Australia. Just to make it absolutely crystal clear, we're not setting up an employer of record in Australia. We had some people on LinkedIn like, wait, are you guys setting up employer of record in Australia? It's like, no, did the, the hoodies not give it away that we've still got the US plastered all over us. Um, But what we are really looking to do at the moment at PGC, and I think it's going to be a massive kind of point of interest for us kind of moving forward is looking at other kind of markets and opportunities where you can kind of build bridges into the US. So obviously the UK market is huge for recruitment, Australia equally so. So Clark and I did two weeks. We did Sydney, Hamilton Island, because there was a conference on the island for four days. So we thought, why not? Um, Brisbane and Melbourne Um, and really it was kind of an exploratory trip to speak to a lot of agencies see what their appetite might be for the US Um, similar to what we do in the UK very educational just on the market so a lot of the time we weren't even talking about contractor payroll Um, we were just painting a picture of the size of the market the margins Um, and it actually surprised me I didn't know a huge amount about the Australian market before going but there are a lot of similarities um, with the UK market of how saturated it is. Um, you know, they've got 15% average margins in Australia. 
Um, so yeah, we had a, an amazing time and I think it's definitely going to be a market that we look to explore um, further and kind of help a lot of American, uh, sorry, Australian agencies enter the US. Fantastic. So here we are, and I always say the date because you never know when this podcast is yeah. going to go out. So um, here we are at the start of November. We're in the run-up to yeah. Christmas. Lovely. How are, your, how are you seeing the market right now? How's it been for you guys this year? How are you seeing the market? Yeah, so I'd say this market, I mean, this year hasn't been the best for recruitment um i would say for pgc we've had an amazing year and i think that shows that you know when perm sometimes drops off a cliff contract really picks up so as a business we've seen huge numbers of contracts i think we've done about 150% growth this year compared to last year which is phenomenal when you actually see the market having slowed down this year um i was reading a report yesterday by sia and they have updated their forecasts for what they think the end of 2023 will look like um and there has actually been a slight decline in growth in the us market but that is hugely down to what we saw off the back of covid so again we're talking in the hundreds of billions with the us market and in the uk you talk 54 billion so even a minus 1% growth is it's still just a ginormous market um next year forecasted to grow by 3% so again really picking back up um i think marketing and creating creative um industry is looking like one of the top growth sectors as is education um, this year, healthcare has really kind of evened out off the back of COVID. So I think we're absolutely catapulted. It's now back at kind of an even level. So I think that came down 30% this year in the US. But again, it's pre-pandemic levels. Um, but yeah, I think we just seen the market kind of grow more and more. So next year, 3% growth, um, marketing, tech, education are the top markets to grow. Um and a lot of people are now looking at expanding into different states as well. So they did a report, SIA, that asked um, 100 of the top agencies, do you look to keep your offices the same, expand or embrace remote and get rid? And 52% are going to expand. So I think even the American agencies are seeing the opportunity kind of coming back. Um, but yeah, contract, I would say it's just forever growing. Obviously, I would say that, but it genuinely is. <laughs> I'm such a fan of contracts. I mean, I, I grew up a contract consultant and um, a lot of what I did on the sort of commercial side was contract based and, and S3 by the time I left was 80% contract. So I get it. But um, I think the contract market in the US just feels a lot more, um, yeah, as you say, a lot more opportunity there. And you know, with the with the margins, with the opportunities, mm-hmm. I think, you know, putting together packages of workers. And I think as well, the other thing people don't always realise is actually in the UK, the big thing is sourcing. Um, the US is more of a workforce management. Typically, you know, you might yeah. even have customers come to you and say, we've got a load of these people. Can you can you run them for us? Yeah. And, you know, we've seen those type of projects. and. That's never happened to me in the UK, but we put together a number of packages in 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 the US where we would literally just do that. So yeah, yeah, I think I I I I'd, I'd agree that con yeah, I'm I'm very biased towards contracts. Yeah, well, we see our average rate for this year is now sixty nine dollars an hour. Um, people 
margin wise on the contract side can actually get even higher. So we're seeing clients kind of go in 30%, average sign terms about 25%. Um, and our average contract length is 16 months. So it's just a no-brainer. I did a training the other day in Birmingham and I literally just did an example. Like, guys, if you sit here and for the end of the year, just play six contractors on 12-month contracts, look at the fees you can be generating. So I'm completely with you on that. Um, And you're so right on that workforce management piece. We've had clients say, I've got a client, I've not placed any of their workers, but they're asking if we can payroll 35 people, can we? I'm like, yeah. And if you want, you guys can put a little bit of a margin on that. So there's just so much opportunity to be had. I think just the final thing for me as well is, of all the recruiters I've known go to the US, not a huge amount have come back. You know, most of them have stuck out there and even if they've not stayed, they've, they've gone and lived there, they've stayed there and... I guess from a similar, yeah. Could you ever see yourself going back to a UK sales role where you know you you just you know it's raining, it's you know. Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said no. When you see these, you know, recruiters in the UK doing thirty k deals, you think actually, if you were even a one man band and did a handful of those a year. But no, I, I honestly, I truly love what I do. I love being able to speak to the CEOs, the founders, but I mean, it, it's a no brainer for me. And that's why we speak to so many top billers who are going to go at it alone just in the US market. They're like, I've got non-competes for the UK. Should I try the US? I'm like, yep. I was like, and then you're never going to go back to the UK. So a hundred percent. Um, I like about you guys as well is that you'll do the whole, okay, come just, we'll sign an MSA master service agreement. And actually the thing that then you'll do is then help them on the journey. Um, So it's all very well getting your terms in place, but then for you guys, it's almost like you, you, you handhold them through doing that as well. So I guess, is it ever too early for someone to come and talk to you guys? Never, like honestly, and and I love it because I don't think I work in a sales role. Like I wouldn't say I'm sales. Like I speak to people for twelve months, thirteen, fourteen. Like you know, it can be such a long sales cycle, and it's not a sales cycle. It's an education. Like we'll go out for breakfast with people that say, Maria, I'm perm only. I'm never going to touch a contractor. I want to be upfront with you. Like we might never place. And I'll say, okay, Jack, you might think that now, but once you're in the US market and you've got clients asking you for contracts, um, you know, never too early. Anyone watching this, drop me a message on LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to jump on a call, go for a coffee. Um, I hope you can see from this, I'm very passionate about the US market. So I'm happy to talk anything and everything, whether it's just a bit of advice, term only, insights, just shout. Fantastic. Well, what we'll do is, um, as a required partner, we'll put the link and people can get in touch with you. And um, as a required partner, you always look after them, don't you? Yes. Extra. Extra Thank looked you. after. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, Maria, it's been great. Thanks so much for the update. Let's hope the uh, last couple of months of the year are great. And here's to a great 2024. And um, yeah, we'll, um, we'll, uh, we'll do an update next year and see how it goes. Love it. Thank you so much, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Maria.